Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Rebecca and not Mary. There's some flashback about standing on this stage. Okay, we have some quick announcement before we start today's session. First of all, when you come in, I believe that you have received a piece of this puzzle. The number one thing that you want to do is not to lose it. If not, you'll be officially declared the missing piece. So do hold on to this, this puzzle piece till the end of the activity, at the, at the end of the whole session. If you have to leave early, please make sure that you pass to the ashes at the back, our beautiful ladies at the back, okay? Make sure that if you leave early, don't bring it home. Okay, that's number one. Number two is another announcement will be for the 15-minute discussion. Because of some change on formatting, we will be having the discussion in the hall itself. So for Jam Paul, for Y-Wave, as well as the Filipino Fellowship, make sure your people are seated together. Okay? Now, every group should be seated with a true force in your hand. Is there any group that doesn't have a puzzle, that doesn't have a true force, and doesn't have your members? Looks like we are settled and we will start today's session. Today is the second, sorry, the third session for this trimester, which is on gifts and fruit. And our topic for today will be exercising your spiritual gifts on the journey. With that, shall we quieten our hearts and we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity that we can gather as a community to learn your word. So Lord, we pray that today as we explore this understanding of what spiritual gifts is, help us to always remember who the giver of this is and that you first before us. So we commit this session into your hands, asking you to guide and to take over. In Jesus' most precious name we pray, amen. Okay, we have five seconds, each question to decide. So as a group, you try to gather and to decide whether is it true or is it false. So, true or false, we have nine questions in all. Are you gathered in your groups? Ready, ready. Question number one. Spiritual gift equals talent. We are born with some sort of a personal talent. Wait, I haven't finished. Some temperaments and abilities, and it is equal to spiritual gift. Now, show. Question number two. Two doesn't want to come out. Oh, become five. Spiritual gifts are permanent. For example, mercy is my most dominant spiritual gift and I will always have it. Question number three. In order to have a spiritual gift, I have to already be a Christian. <laughs> um, Zach's group, I don't know what that is. Don't know. Okay, that's an answer. Okay, question number four. 
I'm not very good at this. I don't have a spiritual gift. I'm not worthy of one. And maybe someday I will have, I hope. This is not the same as the one that you get a technical glitch and say your spiritual gifts are zero, okay? It has nothing to do with that. But you say that I don't have a spiritual gift and I'm not worthy of one. True or false? I guess the white waivers need to discuss a little bit. Decided? Okay, question number five. Gifts of evangelism did not show up on my list of dominant spiritual gifts. Therefore, the Great Commission is not my thing. <laughs> I remember you. Ready, ready? Next, since God has given me the gift of teaching and I have gone through much training, the church should provide the avenue for me to use this gift for God. Give what you really think your group says, okay? I like this one. This one is controversial. Okay, next, number seven. God gives us spiritual gift so that we can achieve our spirituality. I have a very interesting outlier group just now. Okay, question number eight. My spiritual gift survey says that I have exaltation as my top gift. So during the carnival, someone spilled the drink, and since the spiritual gift is not service or helps, I should not grab a mob. And someone else with the gift should do it. Peter, you might want to take note of these people over there. <laughs> Question number nine. The last one says that John and I both share the same spiritual gift of leadership. Comparing the results of our ministry, how come his is more effective than mine? I must have made a mistake of my spiritual gift. Why do I hear? Oh. Ready, ready? Okay, thank you very much. This is the time to calm down. So what will happen is the answers will be provided as the lesson progresses. So what it means is that you have to stay focused and follow along. So as we go along, we do some teaching, we'll be giving out the answers as it goes along, okay? Let's do a little bit of a recap. So far, this is the exact midway point. We are on session number one, two, three, four, five, six, number six, number seven, actually. So we have, if you remember during uh, the beginning, we actually had Pastor David Wong who came and talked about obstacles. And after he talked about obstacles, the point is, so what's our response, our biblical response with the presence of the Holy Spirit? And with that, a quick summary would be for the first series, we talk about the four imperatives. Four imperatives being walk in the Spirit, grieve not the Spirit, Spirit filled, uh, filled by the Spirit, and quench not. 
And if you are in English service earlier on, which I believe all of you are at, we are still in the topic of Galatians and talking about this same concepts that we are in. And then we swing to the second trimester. In the second trimester, we start talking about a very important topic on gifts and fruits. And in this topic, we started off talking about miraculous gift because it is very important to our church with the rich history QBC have. And we hope that it's not just about knowledge, but rather that on top of knowledge, we are talking about a capitalist for Christian unity, a capitalist for us to have mutual respect, and a capitalist for us to understand what, what it means to live together under the same roof in QBC. So that's our heart um, desire for this series. And now, as what Pastor Peter has mentioned, that in this third talk, we will be focusing on the cultivated gifts meaning that it's not in the miraculous gift, but the cultivated gifts that are more typical for a church ministry. So this is where the focus of it will be for today. And with that, we have our roadmap for today. Three points only, not very long. The first one would say is that what is the source of our spiritual gifts? Number two, we will be talking about the purpose of our spiritual gifts. And finally, the discovery and the exercising of our spiritual gifts. And we will start off with the source of our spiritual gifts. Now, the source of our spiritual gift, the, the whole proof text that we'll be using on will be on 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And 1 Corinthians is not unfamiliar to us because throughout the first two speakers, they have all mentioned about 1 Corinthians. Why? Because 1 Corinthians talks about a, lot, a lot about the church conduct issues that they have. And in this case, the church conduct issues that we have is on spiritual gift. So verse 1 says that now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. What's happening here? What's happening here, there is confusion about the topic of spiritual gift because they are wondering what this is all about and there were issues that comes after as we talk the verses on. If you were to Google a simple definition of what spiritual gift means or just read books on spiritual gift, you realize that there are 101 definitions out there. But no matter which are the definitions, it all boils down to a few similar concepts. And I've chosen to use Gene Wilkes as a definition that says that spiritual gifts are expression of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers which empower them to serve the body of Christ, the church. Spiritual gifts are expressions of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers, which empower them to serve the body of Christ, the church. And as we go along the lesson, we'll be unpacking what it actually means for that. We start off with asking, what is gifts? Gifts in Greek means charismata. And it comes from a root word that looks very similar. It says charis. Charis means what? Charis means grace. And grace means what? Grace means unmerited favor. And when we say unmerited favor, it always brings down to the understanding that the recipients receive favor, not because of what merit he or she does, but rather simply because of the giver's willingness to give. You see the perspective difference? Then when we talk about gifts, eventually the focus is not on the recipient, but rather it's on the giver. And as a result, the spotlight is never on the recipient but the spotlight is always on the giver. If there's everything that you cannot remember walking out of this hall, I hope that we remember that when we talk about spiritual gift, the focus is always on the giver and never on the recipient because it's unmerited favor. We continue on, and Paul continue on talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, and he says that you know that when you are pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and you were led by the mute idols. Now, the Corinthian churches, Christians, were, were confused because of their background. If you know about the church of Corinth, there's actually an ancient Greek city. And in this in ancient Greek city, it's very heavily influenced by the pagan worship. 
And because of that, that's what they learn growing day in, day out. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there is always a contrast. And in this case, we are talking about a contrast that is not of the Spirit. Same thing, which is what's being preached this morning, when Pastor Peter was mentioning about flesh and about spirit. That's the same concept, the idea that when you talk about the Holy Spirit, there's always a contrast that is not of the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 12, in this case, it was manifested by the mute idols, the pagan worship that was being mentioned. But if it were to apply for some of us, it could be self-idolatry, self-elevation, which is the contrast of spirit and flesh. And sometimes we forgot to give focus on the giver, but instead we depended on our own strength. You know, I am a good product of um, the meritocracy society. When you can't blame on yourself, you blame on the society. So as a, as a product of the meritocracy society, we are ingrained in our system to depend on our own strength, to believe that I can use my own power or ability to, ab- to achieve certain tasks or achieve certain goals. That's why we have been ingrained for the 40 years of my life. And as we go on, muscle memory tells me that whatever it is, we will go in that trajectory. But this concept of spiritual gift is an opposite. It's actually countercultural, meaning that the focus is never on ourselves, but rather the focus is actually on the giver. Then whenever we exercise a certain gift and all, the gift doesn't, it's not because of who, how great I am or how energy I have. And I've learned over the years and still learning that until I am willing to stop myself in the track, to believe in intentional reflection and prayers, to move myself out of this trajectory. So I think when we talk about the source of spiritual gift, remember the focus is always on the giver and not on the recipient itself. Similarly, in verse 3, he says that, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, because, but no one who says Jesus can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What is the focus? The focus is Jesus is, is Lord. And it is an image of total allegiance and dependence. And that's the whole part that he's trying to focus on. And I like how Gordon Fee summarizes it. And he puts it across saying that the ultimate criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. And whatever that takes away from that, even if they are legitimate expressions of the Spirit, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with spiritual activity as an end in itself. If you read Gordon Fee's book and you know about Gordon Fee, Gordon Fee comes from the Pentecostal tradition. And for him to understand the experiences of spirit-filled activities is, is common. But yet he tells us that what is most important is not the activity itself, but rather the focus is always on the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. We continue on, verse 4 to 6. It says that there are different gifts. i shifting gear a little bit. The same, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but there is the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God that is at work. What are we seeing here? We see unity in diversity. You see the contrast? I love seeing all this contrast and all. Nerdy side of me. On the contrast itself, we see that gifts, the recipient itself, and then the source, which is the giver. What do we see? We see diversity on the gift, and we see unity on the source which is the giver. We see that no matter what manner or what value the manifestation, it is always traceable back to the Trinity, the Heavenly Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you notice the text, it is a beautiful image of unity that is true Trinity itself. Unity within the Godhead. I always find the Trinitarian God 
the concept of unity beautiful. Because that is the basis to why we can say unity in diversity. Because it is not easy. Unity in diversity is never easy. But because God has proven to us how it is being done through the triune God, the unity among the Godhead, therefore, this is our basis to why we can say unity, diversity in unity. With that, I think we are ready to answer, since we have some tools in our back, answer two questions right now. Question number three, easy breezy one, in order to have a spiritual gift, I have to already be a Christian. True or false? True, right? This is easy, right? Now, in order for us to have spiritual gift, spiritual gift has to be expressions of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. This is very straightforward. And therefore, only Christians with spiritual gift have spiritual gift because the Holy Spirit gives this gift to them and only happen after he comes and dwells in the believer upon conversion. I guess this concept has been established early on in the first series that we have, to just understanding what indwelling of the Spirit really means. And that's where the onset of spiritual gifts comes in. Straightforward, but the second question is a little bit dicey. The second question says, is spiritual gift talent? A very common question that was actually even mentioned during one of the deacons' retreat I heard, that is all the strengths, all these talents, are they spiritual gift? How do we make this distinction? Think a little bit deeper. I believe that the answer is false. And most of you actually put in false. Why? Sometimes you think it's good. If we think that spiritual gift is not talent, let me ask you a next question. Does it mean that they are mutually exclusive? Yes? Does it mean that it's mutually exclusive? No. Then how? I propose that spiritual gift intertwines the divine and the human. What do we actually mean when we say that? If you were to see it from solely from a perspective of a human dimension, we're saying that all, everything that we have in our talents is equivalent to divine stuff, to, to spiritual gift, then I think this is a a wrong distortion of understanding what it means. It's a misrepresentation. Because spiritual gifts, as what we have established earlier on, are spiritual in nature, and they are given by the Holy Spirit to every believer, as what we have said. It is a manifestation of the Spirit. You hear me repeating this over and over again. And spiritual gifts differ from human talents and abilities because they result in spiritual fruit. So that's kind of straightforward. But what about mutually exclusive? If you were to see it solely from a divine element... I really have heard people saying that, that these two are separate things. The moment you become a Christian, this is God, and this is the human thing, is, is, that's it. We cut off that part. Is it mutually exclusive? I think that's also a distorted view because we can't deny the fact that there is human involvement. We can't deny the fact that the gifts of help says we bring a meal, literally bring a meal and to clean someone's house. The gifts of giving, that you literally have to make money, you choose where the money is to, to be distributed and to follow through the giving. So there is definitely human involvement in all this. Spiritual gifts, in my opinion, cannot be divorced between natural talents and abilities. In fact, in Psalms 139, it did mention that we, it's God who actually designed and fashioned us in our womb. So whatever capabilities or abilities that we were given, it was from the same God. So they are never supposed to be two separate entities. But human abilities alone cannot produce eternal fruit. But our abilities, when we are empowered by the Spirit, can bring forth this spiritual fruit. Just an example, like Billy Graham. We all know that Billy Graham is a very, uh, in a human perspective, a very gifted speaker. 
But it doesn't mean that there are counselors of many other gifted speakers have, have also been able to win souls for Christ. So these are two very separate things, that having the ability is not equivalent to being win, winning souls for Christ. And therefore, this is a proposal of having an um, overlapping concept of it. How much it overlaps, I have no idea, but visually, I think that's able to help us understand that it is possible for God to give us spiritual gifts that is not involving our talents, meaning that you have heard of missionaries that go out there who cannot preach, period, at all, but God gives them the spiritual gift to be able to proclaim the Word of God and people come to Christ. Is it possible? It is. Is it possible for God to use our talents for Him, use our gifts and ability for Him? I think absolutely. But the last thing that we want is to use our own strength for God's work. And that's something that we hope that we don't do. And I think one of the ways to help us comprehend and understand this concept of interweaving um, divine and human is the incarnation of Lord Jesus Christ. The interweaving of divine and human, the hypostatic union, if you like technical terms, the 100% God, 100% man. So that's the concept of it. The concept of scriptures being both the work of God and man. The concept of work and faith and the concept of church and home. All this brings out the, the tension, at the same time, the beauty of the interweaving between human and divine. This is one of the longest answers. The rest will be short. Now, let's enter into the next part, which is the purpose of our spiritual gift. Now, we continue on in verse 7, and it says that to each one, the manifestation of the gift is given for the common good. Context, the each one. And when we say to each one, I think it is a comfort for us to know that every single Christian possesses a spiritual endowment. Sometimes we don't feel it, but Scripture says that. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says that, that through all the work of one of the same Spirit, He distributes to each one just as He determines. Ephesians 4, 7 says the same thing, that to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. Now, true or false? Check with me. Here we go. I don't have a spiritual gift, and I'm not worthy of one, and maybe someday I will have, and I hope. I understand that some of you have received your spiritual gift inventory, come back and see all the zeros because of a technical glitch. Just a little announcement. <laughs> and by the way, we also know that during worship, you're happily busy doing it. So, <laughs> as an announcement that... um. Belle actually have a copy of it. So what will happen is for hers, hers is not zero. She will forward to you um, when she has the time to do it. She will forward to you and you will see your numbers that comes out, okay? So now, the question is, I don't have spiritual gift. I'm not worthy of one yet, but maybe someday I'll have. What do you think? False, right? Okay, now why? Sometimes we, I don't know, have you ever heard of this comment before? Is this common for you to hear this comment? Not common. Okay, I have said that before. I said that before when I was a younger Christian because I feel that I'm sinning and I keep sinning. And as I keep sinning, I don't think I deserve to have a spiritual gift. Or sometimes I said that, whether it's a pity party kind of version, I'm not sure. But when I see that other people seem to have a better gift than I do, and I felt that in comparison, I do not have a spiritual gift. I don't have a spiritual gift in that. So I think, I'm not sure if this is your experience, but maybe because uh, I'm not the holier one, but I want you to think whether is it true that there are times and moments that we feel that. But Scripture is clear that every single 
Christian possesses a spiritual gift, whether you feel it or not. And we ask ourselves that could it be that we have an unrealistic expectation of what it should look like? Because that when we see someone else having a better gift or looks like it is more effective, we felt that we don't have one. If gifts is all about the giver and not about the recipient, then our view of self-worth should not stand in the way. 1 Corinthians 7, and he continue on to give another very important part, which is the part on for the common good. Now, this is the clear purpose of spiritual gift, that it is always for the overall healthy functioning of the body of Christ. You know, I work with this team of uh, the Journey Series team, and, and I enjoy them thoroughly. It is a very um, impressive group. They are able to do the technical stuff, which I'm like clueless. They are able to do the design, which you will see later on. They're able to do the video, and they just chip in with their hearts pure because of the overall health the functioning of the church. And I think that is the beauty of spiritual gift. So think back your teams that you're in, in your DGs, in your, in your children's ministry, Y-Wave, Jam Paul, all the various ministry, and to see the beauty of everyone coming in to put in because of our spiritual gift for the body of Christ. And eventually, it should not be something that's inward-looking, but rather it is for the gospel to the community, as mentioned in Ephesians 4. I'm going to move on a little bit to true-false question. Number seven, God gives us spiritual gifts so that we can achieve our spirituality. This one, I think we are a little bit of controversial. Do we? True or false? False. Okay, why? Because easily we say that purpose of spiritual gift is never on the individual, but rather on the recipient's spirituality for the common good and the unity. You see these concepts repeating, so when you get out, you'll remember this and you can't forget that. See, the error of the Corinthian church is that they confuse spiritual gift with spirituality. Some gifts are somewhat being elevated higher in terms of spiritual skill than others. And that is exactly the issue of spiritual, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians. Sometimes we will realize that one with the gift of pastor-teacher may be less spiritual than one with the gifts of help. True? Sad to say, but it's true. Sometimes we will say that the person with the gift of giving may be far more spiritual than the evangelist who is winning thousands for Christ. But it doesn't mean that spirituality has nothing to do with spiritual gift. I think when we say that, it's, it's the, which one go first and which one go after. What we're saying is that spiritual gift does not lead to spirituality. But I sincerely believe that ministry flows out of our being, which is what Pastor Peter preached about today as well. I was sitting there thinking, hey, this is very similar to what I'm going to teach. That the ministry actually flows out of our being and our spirituality. So even before we talk about gifts, maybe the better question is to ask, so what about our spirituality? I think that will be the basis before all the doing actually happens. Question number six. Now, since God has given me the gift of teaching and I have gone through much training, the church should provide an avenue for me to use this gift for God. This is also rather controversial. What's the answer? Getting softer. Yes or no? False. Okay, why false? Because, once again, the concept says that it's to benefit the rest of the body of Christ to use the gift for self-gratification and attention. It will be selfish and it will be a sin against the giver. And you may wonder that, really, is there people who really say that? The truth is that there are people who really say that. But why do, they, why do you think they say that? Do you think we all start off thinking that, you know, that the, the church should serve me and therefore give me an opportunity to serve? I don't think so. I think as we go along, and we get seasoned, and we get um, um, needed. And that's where pride comes in. And when pride comes in, we felt that we have to 
and the church should provide a place for us so that I can activate my spiritual strength. And I think that is something that we want to keep ourselves in check. That whichever season of life you are at, whether you know, it's at the very beginning or it's at a time where we are jaded and we felt that we are needed, I think it's time for us to check our hearts on what do we think the spiritual gift is all about. Frankly, the common good is not easy. Common good may be easy when we say it. They're all for the common good. But actually, I would say that for the common good itself requires us to swallow our pride and to remember that he is the giver and to remember that it's others before ourselves. And that, to me, is, is, takes a lot of reflecting and all. And I hope that this session will help us to begin the process of it. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, um, 8 to 11, we start off with the whole from 8 to 10, talking about all the various gifts that was being mentioned. And eventually, it summarizes to verse 11, and it says that all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes to each one just as He determines. And sometimes I ask God, why don't you just give one person everything? Then, you know, we don't have to, like, work together and all. I don't know what's your view about working together, but group work sometimes, and I was in school and all, it's not the easiest thing. Because we have all kinds of people with different idiosyncrasies, they have all their, their, their patterns, and, and I have my own patterns and idiosyncrasies. It's not, it's not easy to work together. But I think that's the whole beauty behind it. That he distributes his gifts differently to each of us so that we can work together. Why? Because working together in a way is just as important as getting the job done. Because working together is an expression of God's love. Every struggle we went through is teamwork is one that we are reminded spiritually it is an expression of God's work, God's love. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 13, if you continue on, which I'm not going to 1 Corinthians 13, but Paul's transit into 1 Corinthians 13 to talk about the indispensability of love and the use of gifts in love. That is the reason why after talking so much about gifts, why did he summarize us at 1 Corinthians 13 to talk about love? It's because that is the basis of all this thing. And this is a teaser for next week where Pastor Isaac, when he comes up, he'll be talking more about this. So you must come next week. So he distributes them and he determines them. And frankly, I feel that it comes boils down to the view of God. Sometimes when we don't see God as the good and the sovereign God, we will be in the mode of comparison on why someone else's gift seems to be better than mine, and why I don't seem to have the gift that I desire and it should look like, and why do I seem like I don't have enough gifts to, to serve God and with what I rightfully should. I think when that happens, it's the time when we ask, do we believe that God is good? Do we believe that God is sovereign? Do we believe that God knows best what is best for us, even though we don't understand it? True false? Spiritual gifts are permanent and, for example, mercy is my most permanent, my dominant gift and I will always have it. True or false? False. It's not quite straightforward because we are not stuck in one as he has the right to determine according to his big plan, according to his big picture. He has the right to make changes the way he wants it to be. But on the other hand, it also reminds us that we are stewards of these gifts. Sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we have gifts, right? And we think that, you know what, I'll forever have it, so why do I bother to train and all? But I think the parable of the talents is one reminder for us that when he delegates this responsibility to us or this gift to us, it is for his kingdom and we are to develop these gifts for his kingdom impact. So I think this is something that's important when we think about the permanence, we have to be reminded not to abuse and to misuse it. 
Number nine, John and I both share the same spiritual gift of leadership and comparing the results of our ministry. Why is he more effective than mine? I must have made a mistake on my spiritual gift. You felt that before? Good, if you have not. But the answer is false. The truth is the values and the culture of the world creeps in while we are unaware. Why? Because the culture, the whole idea of not comparing and all is actually countercultural. It is very easy for us to compare the results or to be territorial about our ministry and to see how effective we are. But this is dangerous because there's only two outcomes that will come out of it. You either come out with pride or you come out with discouragement. You know, God never promised us that the effects will be the same. You look at Elijah and we look at Jeremiah. Sometimes I'll, I'll be like, you know, I don't want to be a Jeremiah, the weeping prophet and all. The effects are different for everyone, but at the end of the day, it's for the common good and always for his glory. Number eight, I think we have only last two to go. Number eight says that my spiritual gift reveals exhortation is my top gift. And therefore, when someone spills a drink, it's none of my business because it's not my deal. True or false? There are many people saying true, especially on this side. So Pastor Peter, take a look at who these people are. <laughs> it's on this side. The answer is false. And I'll tell Candy about this as well. <laughs> you know, when I did my spiritual gift test thing, it's very interesting that while I am talking about my, my top gift, I end up also talking about what I don't have. And I know I'm not the only one because there are people coming to me and telling me, hey, what I don't have. And I wonder why do we think that? We think that because we lament that we don't have certain spiritual gift? Or is it that we think that because it means that we are scot-free, you know, I don't have hospitality, so I don't have to do anything about it. So the question is, when we have that, we cannot turn down opportunities to serve because of your knowledge of your spiritual gift. I put this in bold because I don't want after this talk to come back and tell me that, you know what, my spiritual gifts are all zero, I can't serve anymore, which I heard it. So do not turn down. And in fact, most of the time, the only reason how we actually know about a spiritual gift is when we get our feet wet. My very first ministry when I became a Christian, young Christian, I was uh, in my 16, 17, 17 20, 18, I think, the, the earlier, earlier years, that was to teach uh, youth Sunday school in Mandarin. And that to me is like, oh, in Mandarin, and it's youth Sunday school, and I don't really uh, you know, deal with youth at that point of time. But that became an eye-opener for me because then I realized my passion and my love for young people. This is a group of people who are passionate, a group of people who are interested and vulnerable and willing to be vulnerable enough to ask you the questions and not feeling embarrassed about it. And that was during the time when I explored it, then I realized how beautiful it has been. And the, 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 the struggle of teaching and all, and teaching in Chinese was, was difficult at that point in time. So I say that, don't worry, go try it. The most, how bad can it be, right? The most, uh, after this season, we try something else. So go try it before we know whether this is your spiritual gift or not. Last one, gifts of evangelism did not show up on my list of dominant gifts and therefore Great Commission is not my thing. This is quite clear-cut, although over there was very excited about saying that this is true, but the answer is false. I think there is a difference between Christian roles and Christian um, spiritual gifts. We are given spiritual roles. That role is very clear in our Great Commission. Go we therefore and make disciples of all nations. It was never meant to be whether you have to give or you don't have to gift. So I think that has to be very clean and clear cut. Now, summary, what have we been saying so far? We said that the focus is always on the giver. We talk about diversity in unity and the beauty of Trinitarian God. 
we talk, we talk about spirituality being not equivalent to the greatness of the gift or the lack of. We talk about for the common good and soak that common good in because it's not easy. Know your gift so that we can be a faithful servant to discover so that we can obey and that we can devote. Now, in your group, in my last segment, I want you to share and to discuss these few questions. Number one, what are your dominant spiritual gifts? If yours come back to be zero, make an intelligent guess within your group. Number two, how have you been using it? Number three, have you been setting them aside? And number four, how can you develop them further? Particularly, especially in the context of QBC. How do you think you can develop further in the spiritual gift that you have been given on? So you have uh, hopefully 15 minutes. Let me see the time. Let's start with, uh, I think 15 minutes is good. Let's do 15 minutes of discussion. Gather your groups and do it right here because we are not leaving. We are going to have an ending activity, okay? So start now. I would totally love to give you all the time to discuss. But in order for us to leave at 1 o'clock, I got to wrap up a little bit. So, turn your chairs and face this side. Just turn your, your body or there's something comfortable, okay? Please continue your excited discussion in your DG. Let's wrap up to the end. When we talk about spiritual gift, there's always a process. The process of discovery, the process of confirmation, and the process of becoming the actual action of it. I don't know where you are in your journey. Uh, this one, yeah. But I don't know where you are in your journey, but in our discovery process, maybe for some of us, it's actually to learning the fact that you have a subtle assurance that every Christian will have at least one gift. So if you are telling yourself that I can't do this because I have no gift at all, perhaps this is the very first step. Next, perhaps the second step would be to an awareness of the possibility and what it means by that. Maybe you are very new, the first time you're exposed to such things, and the, and the very first thing that we can do is to be aware of what are the possibilities out there and what is the purpose of it for me. Number three is the step of faith. Perhaps you are at a stage whereby I have all these gifts, I know all these things, they are all in my cognitive knowledge, but to step out in faith is something difficult because it takes away my time and my, my, and my commitment and all, and perhaps it is a step of prayer. Perhaps it's also a time where I'm ready to take action by considering what my natural abilities, circumstances, and my resources actually have to take a more concrete look at who I am as a person, to experiment, to actually try it before you actually know it. Perhaps you are at that season in life of discovery, or perhaps you are at the stage of self-evaluation, of thinking, I've been doing this for so long, so what is this about? The next step that usually after discovery is the part about confirmation. Confirmation is to seek out the reaction of others who are mature and respected Christians. So with that, there is a form called an outside confirmation form. We will be giving it to you, or when you leave the hall, you can actually pick it up, or we will send you the um, electronic version through your facilitators. This outside confirmation form is an opportunity whereby you can bring this to your DG leaders or someone that you respect and say, hey, you know, these are what I think my gifts are. What do you think? More of like a feedback 
and all, just to help you understand, to see it beyond yourself. Sometimes we may have a very skewed view of what we think it is. So this is one opportunity, and that's something that we can do. And finally will be the part about becoming. And so this is a teaser for, in July, we will be having a ministry fair. If all talk and do nothing doesn't mean anything. So in July, what will happen is that we will start to explain what all these are about. So when we say in QBC, what are the opportunities we have to understand more about spiritual gifts and how we can place into action. That seems very exciting. So between now from May to July, I will want you to pray and start the process of prayer. Process of prayer, not only for what you have to do, because I truly believe it's about the being more than the doing, but rather an evaluation or to re-look at this is my current ministry and how would I recommit that to God. And with that, it's our final part, which is the piece that we have. Now, raise the one that you have in your hands. Is anybody who doesn't have one? Okay, put down your hand so that I know who doesn't have one. <laughs> Any one of you doesn't have it? There's one over here. Can someone help? Oh, no, I'm the only one who can help. Yes, I'm the one holding on to it. Anybody else? Ah! <laughs> Sorry. The AV did remind me not to run around. <laughs> and I failed them. I'm so sorry. Okay, now, all of us are having a piece of puzzle in your hand. The reason why I said that if you um, leave this hall without with taking it home, you will be the missing piece is because right in front of you, you see this body of Christ as we visually put out. I don't know where you are in your journey. Perhaps for some of us, it is new. I come to this church new. I do not know what I want to be involved in. I'm a little scared that um, I don't know whether they will suck the life out of me and want me to do 101 things. Or perhaps that you feel that I don't have anything to offer. Or maybe you are at a point where you are actively serving, but you are questioning yourself whether is this the gift that God has given me to put in? Is it the dominant gift that I was shown to have one that I don't dare to enter in. Or perhaps you are in this journey for a long time, but we hit a stage where we are jaded, we felt needed, we felt disappointed, and we have forgotten who the giver of our gifts are. So what we're going to do is, at the back of your puzzle, you will see a label, Please do write on the label and not on the front. On the label itself, I do want you to write down one gift. It may not be your top gift, but that one gift that you struggle most with and the one that you will commit to God, not to the church, but to commit to God that God, please use me in the capacity that you want me to be in. In that label, to put down that one gift that is personal to you and is between you and God. Take some time to think about this after a time of prayer. Come forward. This is between you and God. Come forward and put down your puzzle piece on this and then you are free to go. But if you like to see how this picture is being pieced up, feel free to sit around. Shall we pray?
Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for giving us the opportunity for us to rethink and relook at what spiritual gift is. Help us to always remember that you are the giver and we are simply the recipient of unmerited favour that is not in the spotlight. But Father, I pray that you will continue to churn in our hearts for the gift that you have given us to not let us store it somewhere because we are afraid or because we have lost focus on you. So help us in this time to recommit this gift to you for the common good and for your glory. So with this, we commit to you in Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.